I, uh, I knew I forgot something. Some of you have already done it. Uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to try to uh, do a better job of asking you to use those black pads uh, because we have found that as people are traveling more and going to different services, sometimes it's hard for us to know if when somebody is not there, if it's because they're busy or because something's happened. If you would help us that way, that'd be great. And, and on communions, we just ask you to take one of those little cards, little name tags, and just write your first name so that we can call each other by name. It's, uh, it, it's not an accident, you know, that Halloween and All Saints Day are in the same week. Sometimes they're just a day apart. Uh, Halloween started out in Europe uh, with the Druids as a, a pagan celebration that would scare away the ghosts. The ghosts came out of their uh, coffins one day of the year and people put on masks to say, nope, it's not me. Or they lit bonfires to scare the ghosts or they put in every window and every door of their house fire that would keep the ghosts away. Well, when Jesus' followers came to Europe, they did the same thing that they did with Christmas. They stole Halloween. And they, they did. They said, we're not afraid of ghosts anymore. Let's make it a, a party and have people dress up. And, and let's say that while death is hard, that's All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, we're going to celebrate the life of those who have died because we believe they live forever, All Saints' Day. And they remember and they celebrate and they connect in faith to the famous, the infamous, the normal, and especially to the ones that they love. And we're doing that here today. It's about death, so it's not a hey, happy, wild kind of time, but it's, it's not either. I just want to say this. Death is not the end of the world. And we need to recognize that and, and talk about it. I was at a couple of, or rather, I, I, had, I had a couple of funerals this week. And for once, I didn't have anything to do with it except sitting with Laura, supporting our friends. I didn't have to run things or say anything. And so I had a chance to think about not just that person, but what, what they're supposed to be like. The very first funeral service that I can remember, I'm sure my parents dragged me to ones when great aunt Tilly died, but I don't remember any of that. The first one was out of college. I had just taken my first job working uh, with high school kids. My best friend and I were working together, having a great time. Then he gets engaged, this beautiful woman, Janet, and Janet is leading a, a youth bike trip in California, gets to San Luis Obispo, and a car hits her and kills her. And uh, that was my first encounter with real death that I knew. And uh, so the end of the week, we're in Indiana, and the funeral service is going on, and I hadn't been a Christian all that long. And I can just remember that it was pulled together by my youth worker. And uh, he said, most people think that we're going from the land of the living to the land of the dead. In reality, we're all in the land of the dying, on the road to the land of living forever. And for some reason, this has been like 
40 years, it, it just turned a switch for me. I was 24 and it was like, okay, I'm in the land where everybody's got to die and I hope that I'm going to the land where people live forever. And that service, as tearful as it was, terrible for Janet to die, as painful as it was, offered me a sense of hope. And, and I thought about it that this week. I was at uh, another memorial service and, and this one was a really more of a mixed crowd uh, that is, in our day, we've got lots of people who still go to church or who still love Jesus, and we've got lots of people who don't, whose philosophies and life experiences take them in places far from Christianity, and they often are both together only at the big celebrations, the weddings and the funerals. And at the funerals, when they talk side by side, the messages sound different. Not bad, just different. And so as I listened, I heard the scriptures read and uh, we sang Christian songs, but then I would also hear um, uh, poetry uh, used to, to, to express things. Uh, beautiful poetry. I don't know if you guys remember your Ulysses, Tennyson's Ulysses, that, that where it says, um, death closes all, but something ere the end, some noble work yea, may yet to be done. And the famous part, though much is taken, yet much abides. And though we are not now that strength which former moved heaven and earth, in which we are, we are. One temper, heroic heart, weak by time, strong in will. To will and to act and not to yield. Powerful. It's in the same sentence that that, that poem that became uh, famous a couple years ago again, Invictus, you remember that? Unconquered, where, 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 the guy, uh, where the guy says, beyond this place of wrath and fear looms the horror of the shade. These people are not sure about what happens after death. There is a sense of, this is, this is horror. Beyond the wrath is the horror, and yet the menace of the years shall find me unafraid. It matters not how hard the gate, how tough the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I love that. I think that's powerful. I, I, I think it's very different than the traditional Christian understanding of life, but I think this is a person who says, I, I don't know what lies beyond. What's important to me is that I be the captain of my soul. I am unconquered. They often, folks who love these kinds of poems don't often know it, but they are Stoics, modern-day Stoics. A Stoic is not a person who does not express emotions. A, a Stoic is a person who believes in the Greek philosophy of Stoicism, which means that you don't know what happens. It's probably all over after you die. It, there's nothing there. The key is what you do with this life in building your character, being true to yourself, fighting the good fight, unconquered. And all of these signals come together at memorial services these days. And the important thing for me as I walked away was not to think that folks who don't know church talk are pagans or that they somehow are missing the boat. All of us, all of us are on a journey searching for meaning. 
All of us are trying the best we can. We are in it together, and we need humility not to judge other people. I think one of the great tasks of the church through the ages has been to teach people how to live in preparation for death. Not somber, not Eeyore, but how do you live so that you're not afraid to die? That's the task of the church. And right from the beginning of people that followed Jesus, the leaders were trying to teach them how to talk to God, teach them how to pray in ways that offered hope in the face of death and comfort in the face of loss. That's what Paul talks about in the prayer that we hear today. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others with any trouble. Just as we share in the sufferings, our comfort comes through Christ also. Our distress is for your comfort and your salvation. Our comfort for your comfort, which produces in you endurance. A word from last week. Endurance in the sufferings we all suffer. And our hope for you is firm. That word. Our hope for you is firm because we know just as you share in our sufferings, you share in our comfort. This is how he wants people to learn how to pray in hard times. It's a different kind of prayer because it sounds so thankful and praising. It's a praise of comfort. That's not common in our lexicon. But the idea that Paul is trying to get across is we we praise God for giving us hope that becomes firm. And the reason hope becomes firm Paul says, is because of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. And he says, the reason we have hope is because Jesus goes first. Jesus is God become human, and he goes first, and he shows us the emotions around death. He cries at funerals. He comes to his own death, and he says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to die. But he yields And when he dies, it's not the end of the story. I love it. In the the service on uh, Friday, Jody Fino was in charge, and she says, you know, Jesus never speaks of his death without talking about his resurrection. It is not a period. It is a comma. And Jesus says, I am going, and I'm coming back. He is the companion and the guide We praise God for hope in Jesus. But then Paul says, and you have a part to play too. We thank God for the comfort you've received through Jesus so that you can give others the same comfort. So we can comfort others. Can I just tell you, here's where I think the church falls down. I think often religious people are lousy comforters. We need to do better at this. Giving comfort is not explaining why this is happening. That's a religious thing to do. Giving comfort to someone is not spiritualizing a tragedy, not saying, well, God's will is mysterious, but this will all work out in the end. It may not work out in the end. It is not 
over-empathizing. Christian people drive me crazy sometimes. Oh, I know just how you feel. Oh, no, you don't. And even if you did, how stupid to say that. It's, it's the sense that Paul gives here. Paul says, I want you to receive comfort so that you can comfort others. The people who really do know how you feel, they don't say, I know how you feel. They come and they sit next to somebody and they offer comfort just with their presence, just by being there, by being hope-filled and just sitting there. And they offer comfort through prayer. I, I, I think that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, was not a, uh, he was not a rich fino. He was not a lovey-tovey, compassionate person. He had to learn how to comfort other people. And I think he did, over his life, learn that. He talks to the church at Rome. He introduces himself to the church at Rome, and he says, you know, I have become absolutely convinced that there is nothing not in life or in death, not in heaven nor in hell, now angels nor demons, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you and me from the love of God in Jesus, nothing. His hope is built on the idea that nothing can pull him out of Jesus' hand. And I think he learned that. I don't think it comes natural to anybody. I think he learned that, and he talks about that just a few chapters before. He says, I have learned to even be okay with sufferings. I give thanks for sufferings because I know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance gives me character. It builds character. And character offers me hope. And my hope is sure because God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. That's the comfort that Paul has not that he is saying, oh, she ran away? She ran away? Well, l- let me tell you that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This will all be better. He doesn't say that to the grieving. He sits with them, filled with hope. He says, hope does not disappoint us. Our hope is firm. When I think of that, I think of hope that's like, it's like an anchor, It's a biblical uh, illustration. Our hope is like an anchor. At the end of Paul's life, he is in a ship that is being tossed by a storm all the way across the Mediterranean. And it says, as we came close to the shore, we knew we were going to crash. So we threw out one, two, three, four anchors. And then we prayed all night. Hope is like an anchor. And then you pray all night. Small life, small anchor, small storm. Bigger lives need bigger anchors because there's bigger storms. The QE2 has a chain on its anchor that's 990 feet long, like that. The anchor itself weighs 45 tons. Big storms, brutal world. Can I tell you something? For those of you who are trying to have hope and bright hope for tomorrow, You cannot build an anchor of hope in a wireless world. There is no such thing as a wireless anchor. You can have all the beliefs there that sit on the bottom. You can have all that great stuff on the bottom. 
but it will not get to you through Bluetooth. The thing about anchors is they have to be attached. It doesn't matter how secure that anchor is. If it's not tied to you, it will not help. The anchor of the soul comes with a mighty chain, and that chain is called hope. Hope. The belief that no matter what happens, he will never leave. What does that look like? I I said I'd been um, about two funerals this week. I couldn't go to the other one. It was yesterday morning in Raleigh, Durham. It was a friend of mine. Peter and I went through seminary together, and um, Peter met Laurie there. That was the best part of his whole seminary experience, i got to tell you. And uh, Peter and Laurie uh, went off, and they did uh, churches around the country, and uh, we kept in touch. We were in a study that, I mean, a group that met, and uh, six months ago, Laurie got cancer. And they, they talked to us and, and said, uh, pray for this, pray for this. We're going to fight this hard. And they fought it really hard. And uh, on Halloween, she died. And uh, Peter sent, uh, sent me a note, uh, sent the, those of us who were in this small group a note. He said, uh, Lori... Lori was still somewhat coherent at the end, and, and, and she responded to the boys with words of blessing. The last words she ever spoke were, goodbye, I'm getting on the bus now, I'm getting on the bus now, and I remember that we read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, together out loud. The Great Divorce is the story of a bus ride from purgatory to heaven to see if the people in purgatory could stand being in eternity with God. Well, Lori, Lori would only ride the bus one way. So I said to her, Peter writes, I said to her, honey, all your boys are here and we've all said all we need to say. If you want to get on the bus now and go home, You can go to the arms of Jesus. We'll be okay. She took me at my word, and she left us a little later. Two different services can have very different feelings. I can't read that without choking up. I know, Laurie, I miss her. I'm sorry for Peter. He's a guy. He's clueless. But there is an anchor of hope that goes right to the bottom that will never let go. He is sure that Lori is on the bus, the bus going home. I don't know where you are this All Saints Day weekend. Most of us are somewhere in the normal seas. Remember that anchor illustration? Most of us are in normal waters. It bounces up and down. It's never calm, but you're between the storms. And for you, the question is, are you forging an anchor of hope or are you just getting religious? Are you finding companions that will comfort you as you comfort them? Some of us are in the storms. Some of you just barely got here today. You're tossing and turning. Can we do more than just throw you a rope? 
That doesn't help a rope. Can we put your hand on the anchor of Jesus? Jesus does not, does not always stop the storm, but he always shows up when we feel like we're sinking. Is that you today? Some of you are watching somebody else flounder in the waves, and you don't know what to do. I got to tell you, I think it's harder to watch it happen than to have it happen to you. This All Saints Day, I want to encourage you to be one of those people who just holds on to hope and prays with thanksgiving for that person and when appropriate with that person. Pray for them with thanks for faith that grows and love that increases and the perseverance to hang on. And and then some of you, some of us, are in settings when you leave here where faith is not shared, it's not assumed. And you need to be reminded that we are all in this together, trying our very best. You need to not be a living lecture hall. You need to be a person who has hope. The Apostle Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. In other words, Just be ready to tell your story of how God gives you hope, but do so gently and with respect and don't do it at the funeral. Hug people at funerals and sit with them. All Saints Day brings the image that will show up on the screens of those who have died this last year, the people who have gone before. And the writer of the Hebrews says, they are part of the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on from the stands as we finish the race. That was a great illustration for me this week. Cheering from the stands. It it, it reminded me. You you know what uh, 1908 Minneapolis looked like? It looked like this. That was about the first year that Harry Carey started to be a radio announcer. (laughs) All of my life, I grew up 12 miles from Wrigley Field, and all of my life I heard... Holy cow! Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win. I didn't hear that often. Cubs win, Cubs win. And I thought of him sitting in the bleachers cheering on the Cubs, and I thought of him this week, and I thought Harry would say, the waiting is over, the tears are all wiped away, the curse is broken. Perfect for the Cubs, even better for where Harry sits right now. Because in the grandstands of heaven, he is cheering a different echo. And he is saying, Harry, Carey, and others are saying, he will swallow up death forever, and God will wipe away every tear. He will take away all reproach. And on that day, we will say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him. And he has saved us. This is our God. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We'd like to invite you to share communion with us. But before that, we'd like to take about four minutes and just have you look at the faces of the folks who have joined that great cloud of witnesses this last year. And as you look at their faces, you might pray for the folks who are left behind.
you might ask God for hope that gives comfort.